Welcome to Housing Developments. I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Jim. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I'm doing, We're all, doing right. all lumber all the time. And uh, all the time. I'll tell you, it's been a, uh, a rough sledge, uh, but we're, I think we're making progress. We're, we've caught the attention of Capitol Hill and the administration. And now the next step is to keep the pressure up and get them to do something and do it quickly. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right. We've, we've had a, uh, we've, we've had our ally, well, first of our, our grassroots, our members uh, have taken up the mantle, obviously from their own, their own business perspectives, but also from, from the industry perspective. And, and they did a great job during our Bringing Housing Home Week. Uh, they continue to hold meetings and calls. Uh, we, have, we have members flying into Washington, D.C. Uh, to take time out of their busy days uh, to spend some time with their delegations on Capitol Hill. Uh, the message is being received. Members of Congress are responding, grilling members of the Biden administration, whether Secretary Raimondo or USTR Ambassador Catherine Tai, uh, getting responses out of them, uh, which is translated into conversations we've had uh, at the staff level, whether it's in commerce. You and I are going to be talking to the White House again on the on, on lumber prices. Uh, in fact, Catherine Tai made it a point in a hearing to talk about that she was going to bring raise lumber, raise lumber uh, with with her Canadian counterpart. The press reports were that's exactly what happened. It was the first item out of the box. Uh, so uh, while the proof is going to be in the pudding, and when prices come down, we'll, 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 we can uh, we can hang that mission accomplished banner. Uh, but but like you said, we're starting to starting to see some uh, some attention paid to the, this important issue. And you're right to give credit to our grassroots. And, yeah. and, and I want to uh, thank uh, the leaders of the state reps and the NACs, Mike Capel, Steve Martinez, uh, for energizing those guys. Your efforts are really paying off. And uh, we are we're forcing the administration um, and Congress to the table. And to that end, uh, we thought it would be interesting for our listeners today um, to hear from a sawmill owner. Looking forward to his perspective. Looking forward to it. Yeah, Jim. So now let's uh, bring in our guests. We're very fortunate to have with us today, uh, Mr. Alden Robbins, the Vice President of Sales for Robbins Lumber in Searsmont, Maine. Uh, he's a, uh, a fifth generation uh, lumberman, uh, which I don't think is all that unusual in, in Maine. It's a, a state known for its family owned businesses. Uh, Mr. Mr. Robbins is a, the chairman of the Northeastern Lumber Manufacturers Association and the chairman of the Northeastern Lumber's Pine Species Subcommittee and a member of the Executive Committee. And he's also a member of the Maine Retail Lumber Dealers Association Board of Directors. So he is uh, he's a guy that uh, understands the industry, not only from uh, his own family business and the business that he runs, but from uh, the, the, pros- the, the perspective of a, a real active trade association guy. Uh, Mr. Robbins, uh, we're really glad to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much. Honored to be here. And uh, nice to talk with you folks about these issues. Why don't you tell us a little bit at the outset about your business? It seems to me that it must it, it appears to be a, a vertically integrated business. You, you grow your own trees and uh, cut them down yourself, mill them yourself, and then sell them, right? Exactly. Uh, we do own some of our own timberland, approximately 27,000 acres in the state. Uh, however, the majority of our 
of wood is going to be coming in from independent loggers in this state. Maine is a little unique on the national scale where it's uh, majority privately owned forests. So there's there's a plus and a minus to that. Plus is, you know, we're able to cut them. Um, you know, obviously with, with some of the national forest issues that, you know, I think that's that's led to some of these issues that we're seeing in the West with availability and fires are, you know, policy is dictating, you know, what happens on that and not just what is the best prescription for, um, you know, silviculturally or, you know, for the economy of the, of the country, but there's a lot of emotions that, that get dragged into it. So in Maine, we have a lot of privately owned forest lands, uh, yet we do own a fair bit, but when, when you deal with a species of what we do, which is Eastern white pine, um, significant growth cycles in Eastern white pine, uh, it's not a fast growing species, which is why, you know, it has some of the properties it has, um, but, Maine's big state. We grow a lot of trees. We're currently underutilizing that resource. We're harvesting sustainably. It's an you know it's an agrarian society that sort of had the the agricultural component move out somewhat. A lot of those fields grew back up to forest. So we're lucky to be one of the you know more forested states in the nation as a percentage of land area uh, than some other states. So we have a good strong resource and a and a and a robust economy. Uh, forest products is still, you know, uh, a very important part of the state's economy. It's about an $8 billion industry when you take everything in whole. Uh, it has had some headwinds as of late with the changes in the use of paper in the world. Maine has traditionally been a leader and very strong in the in the paper industry. And with the closure of some paper mills, it's really cause some struggles for landowners, loggers, and sawmills when it comes to some of the residuals and the byproducts that sawmills produce and some of the low-grade materials that the land is producing. Um, you know, we've lost a lot of that low-grade market. So that's caused an issue in our state, but that's... that's but is the market for construction lumber, uh, how's that right now? I think you guys know better than, than I do. It's, it's, it's very strong. <laughs> it's interesting to see futures where they are, you know, um, we've seen a little bit of a dip, uh, you know, from a producer side, so, you know, we look at this, it's a, it's a real supply demand issue. Obviously uh, demand is somewhere we've never seen before. A lot of factors to that. And you folks hire a lot of people that study that um, on the supply side of things, you know, we've seen some constraints. Again, the story is pretty well known. You've got a lot of fiber that's coming out of that Canadian market in the West that, isn't there anymore. Uh, you've got some issues on the on the West Coast of the US that's not there anymore. We see fiber coming out of the Southeast more and more. In fact, I was just talking to a customer of mine up in Toronto who said, we're seeing Southern yellow pine in my market. I'm surrounded by a forest of spruce fir and I'm seeing Southern yellow pine in my market. You know, we're seeing growth in the Southeast, but it's not happening at a fast enough pace to keep track with A, the fiber that's growing down there and the demand that we've seen in this area. I mean, locally, and I live in a very rural area. You know, I live in a town of less than 2,000 people, but we're seeing houses pop up everywhere. We're seeing existing home stock be depleted. You know, everything's sold. It's sold sight unseen. It's sold via the internet. You hear the stories. We're living it. We're experiencing it. Um, and even at this reduced rate in, in the rural area where we are, I can't imagine what's happening in some more urban areas. 
but we feel it on the demand side. Our customers are calling us in a panic. You know, I just need more wood. I just need more wood. And I spoke about that in that in that article that you folks um, saw in Slate Magazine. It's just, you know, it's it's hard for me as a sawmill. I don't have the labor availability to bring on a second shift. I And for me, it's not just as easy as starting a second shift. I mean, there's kiln capacity. There's bottlenecks. I mean, it's a big infrastructure shift in order to, to, to make a real, to move the needle on production for us. We're pretty much always maxed out on what we can do because we have to be. It's a very mature industry. You know, there were many years where sawmills were surviving on what we could get for our residuals. Um, obviously, we take good times, like now, record years for lumber prices. They help us survive the bad years like we did in 2007, 2008, when we saw a lot of sawmills just lose their shirts. So that's. Do you think it would make sense? I mean, I understand the the uh, the demand that you have right now and things are going great. I'll tell you, some of our listeners would be, I think, distressed to hear um, that we can't get lumber at a consistent basis here in the United States and they're uh, exporting it to Toronto. Um, they would have a problem with that, I think. But let me ask you this. Given the volatility of the market, would it be beneficial for your business to have the United States government put together a summit, bringing in the entire supply chain of the lumber industry from the growers to we, the end users, trying to discuss ways to reduce the volatility, make it a more predictable market and see if for example, I could understand why you're going great guns right now. The natural question that a kid in business school would ask is, wouldn't it be time for you to invest in more um, in more infrastructure and stuff for your plants so you could even do more, particularly given the fact that this administration is probably going to further limit harvest on uh, natural resources, na- national forests, rather. It's, it's interesting you say that. We actually acquired another sawmill recently. Um, but it's an existing facility. It's not going to solve the issue. It's that the production is already sold. Um, you know, it's just for us in the future growth, you know, we don't look at, you know, as I told my sales staff who were looking for a relief, because honestly, at the end of the day, as human beings, you know, and as salespeople, we want to help our customers and solve their issues. They don't like to tell people no. They don't like to tell people their prices are going up. I mean, they like to solve problems for their customers. And we've always said that and we've tried to instill that in our staff. You know, we want to be problem solvers. We want to listen to our customers. And our customers are independent retail yards in the state of Maine, all the way to large distribution customers um, throughout the country. But, you know, it's, it's as far as to your, directly to your question, as far as getting together a summit, I mean, we can always talk. I do, when I, when I hear government, I, you know, as an independent family business, slightly <laughs> conservative, I, you know, I, sometimes when government comes in with all the best intentions in the world, a change here is going to cause an equal and opposite change over here that we may not foresee. And, you know, I, I think you can have issues there. I mean, you know, when I look at the, you know, let's talk about the softwood lumber agreement, you know, the largest trade dispute in the world. And it's been ongoing. We're talking about how, you know, a couple hundred grandparents <laughs> dealt with that, right? I mean, this just doesn't stop. It keeps going. And even in a market like now, which, you know, we should be concerned with how do we get more lumber? 
Um, there are strong feelings on both sides of the border. I mean, this stuff just never seems to straighten itself out. There are a lot of strong feelings and a strong emotions that come into it. Is government the way out? I, I, I would be, I, I, I would disagree. I would hope that, you know, the, the market is going to work itself out eventually. As we're seeing currently in the futures coming down, I mean, we are hearing it from our customers. Our customers are saying, hey, we've got people that are canceling houses right now because of prices. You know, are there people waiting in line? They're going to take that spot? Maybe. But obviously, you're going you're gonna to get to a point of price fatigue where that demand will drop. Now, that's painful to some people. And of course, as prices go up and down, that causes panic. I mean, people have high inventory if they worry about that coming down. Um, you know, as, as far as, but, but, but directly to the government stepping in and making a change. I mean, I, I've seen it here locally when government comes in to try and fix an issue, whether that be power or whether it be, you know, you name it. Um, the good intentions sometimes, a lot of people get their, get their hands in the pie, um, loopholes open up. And every time the government opens up a, a loophole or an opportunity, which is artificially created, private enterprise finds a way to exploit it and, and, and boom, it, it tends to get over-exaggerated in some of the benefits or some of the, some of the collateral issues that come out of it tend to be um, counterproductive. Do you think that this increase in price is in any way reflective of the need for lumber producers to uh, fill the void that's left by the lack of supply for the lower grade products like paper. So you, you're used to in your bottom line, in your balance sheet, uh, seeing a percentage of your profit from a construction lumber and a percentage from paper. And in order to make things work, since you're not selling the lower grade products, and I'm not saying you individually, I'm saying the industry, is is that part of the reason for the price increase? You know, it's hard to say. Um... Mr. Howard, I mean, it, it's it could be nationally residuals have been an issue for sawmills and they've been brewing on the horizons. And, you know, a lot of companies have gone a lot of different avenues to try and solve that issue. You know, we we went with the with the CHP plant because sawmills are very energy intensive. We need that energy and process steam and heat for dry kilns. So it just makes sense. And if more of those plants could be put in place. It would help secure the future um, of these sawmill facilities, producing facilities. You know, other, other sawmills have gone different avenues to solve that issue. Pellets, you know, you see a lot of Southern yellow pine manufacturers um, either building their own pellet facilities or working with in conjunction with pellet facilities to export to that European market. Um, so, you know, they found different ways to to handle that, but what that has done, and I know that that's, and I, and I know of cases in the Northeast what that's done, it, it's inhibited investment in sawmill facilities because of the unknown of the residuals market. So yes, in some ways that probably has added to that supply side constraint, um, but I think the demand has, has you know, and, and global demand obviously, you know, I mean, I was in a Montreal Wood Convention, had a speaker, and he was one of the larger producers in Europe um, who actually just invested in, in two sawmills in, in the U.S. But that fellow was talking about demand in Europe. 
being the same way, out of control. And typically you see supply coming from Europe in these in these um, times of a really good market. And while we, we are seeing some European supply come in, it's not a wall of wood like you might expect. You know, the wood is, you know, flowing to where the money is, you know, to your point in Toronto, why is Southern Alpine going to Toronto? Well, it's, it's, it's following the money, obviously. And, you know, with, with what's going on in Europe, with what's going on with, you know, the log export ban that Putin was talking about going into China, the China demand being very strong, um, you know, all over the world, the wood demand is strong. And so that demand has been heightened by COVID because of those demands with people wanting to, you know, increase their built environment using wood. I mean, honestly, I, I love to see wood prices go up on one aspect because it's showing that the demand for wood is strong. I'm a very pro wood person, obviously. I have been involved in a lot of organizations to help market and promote wood for the carbon sequester of human benefits and all, all the other things. But just for business in general, we are seeing that demand side in Europe and globally grow at such a pace that it's just, you know, with the supply constraint headwinds, it's just outpaced supply. Let me ask you one other question. And then Jim, you need to jump in here. Uh, but my other question is, is the industry involved in research and development um, that would uh, enable you to take some of these byproducts that used to go into paper and find some other use for them that, that could offset some of these problems that you're facing? You mentioned pellets. Is there anything else for the yeah, domestic so market? Yeah, so actually this company right here, uh, Timber HP, that's a wood-based wood fiber insulation. So this company is actually going into Madison, Maine, and romantically it's going into the site of, of Madison Paper Company. So here's an old paper mill that was there for, for many, many years, you know, and it's a site that was defunct. It was shut down, jobs lost. This factory is bringing in equipment from Europe to construct a plant to produce wood fiber-based loose fill insulation, um, press fit bats, and fiberboard. And this is going to be made from sawmill residuals and low-grade wood, and it's going to be sold into the, to the North American markets. And here's an existing, it, it's almost a billion-dollar industry in Europe right now but it's not being produced in the United States. So here's a market. And insulation is a tough one to travel because of its bulk and its density. It's just, it is expensive to travel. So that's an exciting front. Um, and they're planning to expand, you know, across the country. Um, there is the, the wood cellulose. They're, they're looking at it for, I mean, I saw an article today, just zip across my screen. They're going to use it for the trying to formation of supercapacitors and batteries. They, I mean, they're used for, um, 3D printing uh, media. Um, so the applications and the potential for that, yes, it's it's huge. Will that help? Um, I think it will. I mean, you know, as wood products, if you can continue the profitable, the profitability and the sustainability, it will promote people to keep wood in forest land, right? I mean, when you see up here in Maine, that you know, do you have an option where you want to grow trees or do you want to put in a, a strip mall or you know, something else converted into a solar farm or whatever it's going to be, the more products to add to the profitability and the long-term sustainability of timberland is going to benefit, you know, the whole industry 
in the availability and sawmills and products. Alden, this is this is Jim Tobin. Uh, thank thank you for for joining us and all your comments. I, I, one one question I have, uh, you, you mentioned kind of unprecedented uh, building demand uh, the, these past couple of years. Um, and on the grand scale, it's not, it's it maybe from a year over year perspective, it's, it's higher. Um, but, but from a historical perspective, uh, the 2020 building cycle, we built about 1 million uh, single family units back in, back in 2005, when our, when the peak of the housing boom, you remember, uh, the, the, those heady days, we built 1.7 single family units and the, the forest product industry put, put produced 40 billion board feet. Of, of, of lumber, uh, yet last year, I think it was, you know, uh, the, the industry produced 36 billion board feet. So there's a, that, in, in my mind, and, and, and obviously you're the expert here, there's a 4 billion board feet delta. Now we all know what happened after 2005 in, in, in between 2020, the, 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 the crash. Explain to me where that capacity went. Is it in shuttered mills? It is, you know, why, why can't we produce uh, ultimately 4 billion more board feet or, even two billion more board feet to, to, to meet demand today. I'll take a stab at it. Um, <laughs> you know, probably those people that are producing multiple billions of board feet in their companies, you know, at a much higher pay grade are able to answer this a lot better. I'm a small family owned business. You know, we're up to 50 million board feet of production now, which is a drop in the bucket. So some of these mega sawmills that you see, but yeah, shuttered mills. Um, that's a big part of it. Uh, you know, after that crash, the lumber prices went through the floor. And as it happens in the cyclical industry, you know, those that were doing all right were able to and be the most efficient, were able to survive those those times when, you know, obviously you saw lumber prices in the West Coast where they were delivering sawn dried timber cheaper than cheaper than you could buy firewood for. I mean, it was unbelievable that the, the way that the price you know, came off. Um, and so a lot of those mills shuttered not to be restarted again. Um, the other thing is you have, you have mills that have the capacity to add shifts where they have the infrastructure, either with their dry kilns or with their processes where they could add a shift on if it were not for labor constraints. And obviously, you know, depending on where you sit on the political spectrum, you know, because of some of the enhanced unemployment benefits, we've seen some reluctance to, for, for, for you know, you gotta be careful about what you say, I guess, but it's been tough to find staff. You know, that's the bottom line is, is finding enough people to staff mills so that they can get to the production levels that they could be. Um, we have trouble finding staff and we just do a single shift. Um, it's the, the, the amount of workers that are coming in for, you know, traditional foundational jobs, there's been a, a little bit of a cultural shift. You know, obviously working in a sawmill is, 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 is difficult sometimes, and there are other opportunities, and sometimes there are incentives to do other things. You know, I just, I, the, other, the other issue I wanted to raise, Alden, if, uh, is, is OSB. Um, that, that is, we've talked about framing, framing lumber, and that obviously is, is up 300 plus percent, uh, but OSB seems to have its 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 own its its own curve uh, here. And I I was just with some of our our southern members uh, from Alabama in particular, and, and OSB was their biggest gripe. Uh, can you tell us about the OSB market 
I don't know if your mill produces OSB, um, but and even plywood, that seems to be, again, we're seeing prices that are five or 600% higher than they were a year ago. Give us some of the if you, market dynamics between those two, between flaming lumber and then that, those OSB panels. So I am not the person to talk to about OSB. We don't produce OSB. We actually produce white pine boards, which people, believe it or not, in our neck of the woods will use for sheathing instead of OSB. Um, lots of times you have, you know, um, owner operator or small builders and they prefer the pine boards because they can hand them up to the person up on the roof. They can handle them in high wind conditions better. And they're using the pine boards for concrete forming sometimes and then using them for sheathing. We're, we're you know, uh, tight Yankees. So we, 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 we're kind of doing things a different way. But um, from what, am I, what I have heard on the OSB side of things, there have been a resin issue um, due to some constraint and supply constraints on, on resins. And that has caused some supply constraints on the OSB. Yeah, I've, I've heard prices are out of this, out of this world and just availability. And so projects are being constrained because you just can't get it. You just can't get the material. Um, so I have heard that, um, but I am not an expert in that. We don't produce framing lumber or OSB. Um, but we hear about it. And so I think you guys probably can. Know we might want to uh, work with you to expand the uh, white pine board market. Uh, <laughs> try and start making it a national market. You, you help us and we'll help you. <laughs> that sounds great. Yes. As far as my Nelma hat. Yes. I want to support the, uh, the marketing of Eastern white pine. That's let me ask you one other question and then we'll let you go. Uh, when do you see equilibrium coming back to the market? I'm just a sawmiller up in Maine, man. I, I, I would love to tell you, you know, as, my, as a pure producer hat, I hope it stays strong for a long time. But I, I you know, as, as I've told people before, I, I feel for this, the volatility is not great for, for anyone. Um, you know, short term, yes, maybe for a producer. But, you know, when you see the prices go up like this, people are looking for alternatives, right? And people are saying, we have to do something different. And, and you guys are, are, or, you know, doing your job and saying, hey, we've got a problem. You know, I like slow and steady. You know, we're going up with inflation, cost of living, whatnot. These price spike things, I don't know, to the whole point about where we are with housing starts, obviously we underbuilt for a lot of years. And now we're those chickens are coming home to roost. So, um, it, and when will that even out? I don't know is the, is the short answer. Um, but... We'll, we'll find out. We're just going to ride that train wherever it okay. takes us. We, listen, we appreciate your taking the time. We've had a, a down Easter from Maine talking to a nutmegger from Connecticut and a, and a woodchuck from Vermont. So we've had New England pretty well covered today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Alden. Well, thank you. I wish I could speak uh, more intelligently on some of those national issues, but um, yeah, we're all in this, we're all in this weird market trying to figure it out and survive. And um, thank you for the time. Yeah, thanks all. Our pleasure. Thank you. Take care. All right, Jim. I I think Mr. Robbins gave us a very interesting perspective there. Um, might not be one that our our members listen to, but it's certainly uh, from his point of view, uh, well thought out and a, a a good a good argument could be made for for what he was talking about.
Yeah, I mean, capacity's down, buildings up. Uh, but what, what I what I didn't like uh, was uh, the notion that that high prices are going to be good for the industry. I know you and I uh, believe that a, a sustainable housing industry is what's best for the forest project products industry. And if these high prices continue, uh, they may succeed in, in cooling off the a hot a hot market, and uh, and, and wood prices are going to fall because of lack of demand, uh, not because of equilibrium. I agree with that. And the other thing that I found interesting is he was very quick to, to point out the reduction in profits that they're facing because of the, the disuse of some of the lower grade uh, and residual uh, wood products that, that they have produced that went into making paper and other things. Right. Um, it was interesting to hear his reaction to that question and to whether or not they're looking for other products to make. Yeah, I mean, look, he, Rob Dietz, our, our our friend and colleague, always talks about uh, you know high prices uh, kind of keep bring about innovation, and, and maybe that's where we see it. Maybe a renaissance in new ways uh, and new building materials. Uh, we've talked about steel on our call, and, and whether steel is the, the alternative to, to high lumber prices. Maybe it's just different ways to to use lumber to make building products. Uh, we'll see. There's if there's a buck to be made, someone's get, someone's going to find a way to do it, and uh, and if that brings money, our, our lumber prices down. All the better for us. Well, and next week, I think our plan is to have a uh, a larger scale producer on and hear what he has to say. I think that this would be a producer that uh, uses our national forests and might have some policy recommendations for us. But anyway, Jim, it's been a pleasure. Get back up on the hill. Yep. Take a tree with you. If you have to use it for lumber, that's good. If you have yeah. to use it, just take a tree. Anyway, that's all for now. I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you.